0: Last week, we talked about Danny Paquette, a New Hampshire man who obviously had his share of troubles, and how he was murdered by a single shot fired at great distance one Saturday when he was working on his bulldozer. Right? That's right. Yeah. So this episode, we're going to be talking a little bit more about that. So come hang out and listen as we explain who exactly Danny Paquette's murderer was and how so many people in their small New Hampshire town kept the secret of who actually killed Danny Paquette for 20, 20, 20 friggin' years. That's crazy. I know so let's set the scene right
1: <laughs> set it up baby i'm gonna
0: set it up it's november it's a saturday afternoon all the way back in 1984 holy crap i know man it's like the age of live aid and Walkman. Bruce springsteen and we're walkmas there yeah I, so. I don't know and yeah. anyways and it was also the time of danny podcast. and danny as we heard in our last podcast but if you didn't listen which you totally should have danny is a man with a troubled past right
1: how troubled baby very
0: troubled he's got a bit of a temper he hit his girlfriend's son through the like he punched him through the open window of a car oh that's
1: right he's yeah.
0: like a man Whose mom was potentially murdered when he was a kid. And he's got a lot of stuff going on in his past, right? Yeah. So Danny Paquette is this November morning, I mean afternoon, in New Hampshire, right? Yeah. He's working in his yard welding because he's a big welder. And he's got two friends over at his place in Hooks in New Hampshire, right? Right. And there's a crack in the air. Like, just this normal, normal afternoon. And then, boom, there's this noise, right? Yeah. And then, boom, Danny's dead. One bullet wound from a two seventy rifle. Yeah. That shot from very far away in that diminishing New Hampshire autumn foliage. Right? It's got him. And... Nobody understands for a second what happened, right? Like we talked about in the last podcast, it's just like this stunning thing out of nowhere. And, you know, when the police come, they think maybe a stray bullet from a hunter got him. Well, it
1: was November.
0: Yeah. And it was, I think, the first or second day of deer hunting season. Yep. So it made sense, sort of. Makes sense. And then they're like, well, maybe someone's bad at his br- mad at his brother, because his brother, you know, sometimes mixes with some unsavory types from a law enforcement point of view. Right. From our point of view, maybe some fun people to hang around. Um, And then they're like, <laughs> maybe it was somehow linked to his mom's death, because... um. Even though that was forever ago, his mom's death, a lot of people linked it to this um, New Hampshire killer, Edward Coolidge, right? Oh, really? Yeah, remember we yeah. talked about that in the last episode. That's right. He doesn't remember from I one did. episode to another. It's a whole okay. week, but it's <laughs> a long time for memory. <laughs> Anyways, but it wasn't any of that, right? Um, at the other end of that rifle. Was? An unknown assailant. It was it's a,
1: known. I want to know who was. It, it was a murderer <laughs> who
0: police took two decades to figure out, even though a ton of people in a small New Hampshire town named Hopkinton all knew the it They knew what was going on, man. How did they know? Yeah, because he kind of told them. He so, told them? The murderer told them.
1: Oh, my God. Yeah, so, like... And they didn't tell anybody? No. Jesus.
0: And so, like, half the teens in town knew this, right?
1: Yeah, it was the murderer a teen? Well, oh, that's a big clue, isn't it? Uh-huh. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh.
0: Listen to you picking up on those clues. So, <laughs> if you remember our last podcast, you might remember that Danny Paquette had a couple of ex-wives. And one of them had a daughter... That Danny adopted, so it was his stepdaughter, right? Right. But sort of not, because when uh, like you adopt them, so it's not your step anymore.
1: Right. I don't know, daughter, daughter. Mm-hmm. But
0: then his ex-wife and all the kids fled to Alaska after Danny allegedly stopped all them. All
1: the way to Alaska.
0: Yeah, they were like, "We're getting the hell out yeah, of New Lord. Hampshire. We're going to some place even more less hospitable in the winter. We're going in Alaska, right?" But that wasn't all that Danny did, that alleged stalking. He also, and this is the key to this case, allegedly molested the daughter, his stepdaughter, of Melanie, course. right? Mm-hmm. And unbeknownst to Danny, Melanie had moved back to New Hampshire without her mom or the rest of the kids and was staying with um her aunt because most of the reports say that Melanie moved back because it was just like, too dark in Alaska. She was like tired of being poor, living with her mom scraping by, kind of stuff, and right. just wanted to go back to New Hampshire. And Melanie was a pretty cool kid when she came back to New Hampshire and lived with her aunt and uncle. She played soccer on the boys' team in Hopkinton, in New Hampshire, and this was a really good soccer team. Yeah and like she got to play as a girl with the mm-hmm. boys cuz she was just that good right I so i mean like that's awesome and there was also this random kid on her on her soccer team who wasn't so random and his name was Eric Windhurst and she by a lot of reports my yeah. chair is creaking that's so creaky and our dog is snoring but you're all going to ignore that <laughs> um by a lot of reports, um, Eric was like, just, she had crush a crush on Eric, but okay. he didn't have a crush back. He was more like
1: a uh, big
0: brother kind of figure to right. her. He was a little older, super popular, really, really charismatic. I think he might have even been the captain of the soccer team. I'm not sure. Right? Right. And for a tiny second, the cops were like, huh, like some evidence is kind of pointing to these kids, Right. But they're like, no, that makes no sense because Eric's a super preppy kid. His family's rich. He's only 17. That doesn't work. This kid's not a murderer. And like his family's awful. Also like really influential in that town. Right. His mom was basically the heiress of a land baron who created Hopkinton.
1: Oh, really? Uh, Yeah.
0: And like, so they're like, no, no, that doesn't make any sense. So just like those popo, let's back up, right? <laughs> um, the blogger this
1: st-
0: well, their name is The Streets Don't Love You Back. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: right. But they write this really well. Relatives of Danny Paquette never believed that his death was an accident, right? Right. Which was kind of like what was going down as the, after the police did a whole bunch of investigation about, you know. His girlfriend's kids, his brother's acquaintances, all that kind of stuff. Right. They're like, it eh, looks like maybe it was an accident. And in 1990, what was that, six years after? The TV show Unsolved Mysteries profiled the death of Paquette as well as the murder of his mother, Rena. And her son, obviously Danny, had discovered her body with her brother out on that on their farm where they live burned and it was 1964 it was part of like the family pig farm if you all remember right right and he grew up to be this guy who had some anger and some violence and he stayed at a psychiatric hospital and the doctors there it says tried to help him recover from his past by piecing together the events from the day his mom was murdered and for years investigators theorized that his killing was connected to hers, right? So there's a lot of theories going on. That's for right? sure. But they can't prove anything. And that theory, again, was wrong. The what? TV shows <laughs> and the sluice were wrong. Like, you know, like if this were now, everybody's podcast would be like, oh, my God, these are so totally connected. Oh, my God. Right. You know, but in NPR and podcasty voices, but it wasn't connected. Right. Um, but then it turned out like that all these teenagers in this town knew that who exactly Danny Paquette's murderer was. That's crazy. Right? Because his murderer went to a party, and it's like, I killed, like, the next night. He right. was like, I killed him, I killed him, I killed him, I killed him. And everybody's like, shut up, man. Don't tell everybody. <laughs> and, like, he had, like, the murderer had a really tight crew of guys. I guess so. And they're all like, don't tell. And he's like, no, just kidding, just kidding. And they're like, you're not just kidding. And then he also felt guilty and so he told parts of his family, right? Allegedly. Yeah. And so his family members all know who this murderer is, right? And um at the time, anonymous letters were even sent into the police saying like, yo, this guy, the guy who did this is Eric Winters. Mm-hmm. And the police are like, okay, number one suspect, but that doesn't make sense. Somebody right. must hate Eric, right? And they couldn't find any evidence. And Eric had an alibi, which was, hey, I was at a high school hockey game in Plymouth with Melanie.
1: Who's Melanie? The
0: stepdaughter slash adopted daughter oh. of Danny, right? Oh, right? And Melanie's alibi was I went to a high school game in Plymouth and it was hockey and I went with Eric Ooh. and Plymouth was really far away, right? And was. so, yeah. yeah. And so like, it like the timeline would make them not there. Yeah, right. Um, but the only problem was that the alibi was a total lie and some kids like, they never really asked to verify it with other people.
1: Yeah. Who didn't?
0: The cops, I guess. And, or if they did, the other people lied. Right. And, like, but, you know, other people after the fact are like, no, I never saw Eric or Melanie there, and I sure as hell would have noticed, because right. they were, like, the popular kid, like, especially Eric. Mm-hmm. Um, that same blog says pretty well, like, um, about the motive, like, because Melanie Paquette came to New Hampshire, right, and she was terrified that Danny would realize that she had returned. Right? Right. And so she told Eric um all about the sordid crap that she alleged that Danny did to her, Mm -hmm. like raping her and abusing her. Um and she even said that he placed a gun to her head to ensure that she never told her mom or anybody about that, right? Yeah. And so Melanie's fear that's her dog. Melanie's fear, like um, got bigger and bigger. And her aunt and uncle were thinking about trying to get guardianship to, for her. Yeah. And right before all this happened, they had gone through court systems to do that. But then the court was like, you can't do that without us alerting Danny about it. And so, because Danny was technically oh, her father. Her father. Right. And so like all their fears got allegedly bigger and bigger and bigger and she's like they he's gonna know he's gonna know i'm here right. and like to this kid like you know if what she said is true like every you've got to imagine she's been raped and she's been abused and she's had a gun to her head mm-hmm. and so terrified that their entire family left new hampshire and went to alaska to get away from him and hide and, like, now she's like, oh, no, the court's coming, going to, like, tell him that I'm here. What right. am I going to do? I've made this whole cool life here in Hopkinton. I'm on the friggin' boys soccer team. I have cool friends. Everything's going to go bad. Yeah. Um. And so she was really scared, right? And that makes sense. It um, does. It does. And so she was, like, told Eric, and Eric said, I'm going to protect you. Right? Right. So 10 years later, in 2004, the po- the police, I almost called them the popo again, they are like, <laughs> we've got to get to the bottom of this freaking crime. Let's hire a private investigator to the just focus. The police hire a private investigator? Yeah. Like, but yeah. he was like an ex-cop. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they're like, this is you. Investigate, investigate, investigate. And he's like, Oh, I've always had a thing for this crime. This bothers me. So I'd love to devote all my time to it. So he does. And he, all his evidence leads back to that same super popular, charismatic guy, Eric Winters, right? Right. So um it turns out that Eric isn't as beloved as everybody thinks. In the sense that people are indeed sending in anonymous letters oh, right. that he's the murderer, Danny Potket, right? right? And so, even though so many people in this town know that he did it, people break that code of silence eventually. And one of the key people who break it is actually his sister-in-law, the wife of his dead brother. Yeah. Um, and she wrote an anonymous letter right when the crime <laughs> happened. Our dogs are fighting. And then again, like around 1980, no, around 2004, right?
1: Yes. Um,
0: And they're all like, you know what? Eric did this and he told us and he's so remorseful. Like he really regrets it.
1: Mm-hmm. He's
0: like so upset. He thinks it's the worst thing he's ever done. I hope it is. And <laughs> like, but he's like, you know, I did this because I was so worried about this kid. Right. But it was really wrong of me um anyway so the cops are like okay this is some decent solid evidence finally that we have like right. they, uh, they trace the anonymous letters to actual people one of them is allegedly maybe one of da- um, eric's friends and one of uh, them is his relative and um they by now melanie both of them you know melanie's gone through college and stuff and she's married she has five kids She's just started like an automobile dealership with her husband. Five and, kids. Well, they're Mormons. And she has like, they have five kids uh, together, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: and they're like out in Idaho, super good and goodies. Um, and they're like, Melanie, we really need to know what happened. They go to her house and she's like a very religious person now. Right. And she's like, I have to tell the truth. So she, like, I have to be a good role model for my kids. And so she confesses. Um, And she's like, yes, Eric and I were there. Mm -hmm. Um, And Eric shot Danny Paquette. And the police get her to call Eric even. And they have her record the conversation. And he's like, uh, and she's like crying. And he's like, it'll be okay. They'll never figure it out. It's okay. Mm. And it wasn't you, Melanie. It was all me. It was all me. It's Don't, you know... Right. Blah blah blah. And they're and the cops are like, We'll keep you out of prison. It's all on Eric, right? Right. You've helped us so much. And Eric for these past twenty years has been pretty chill. He's been a pretty respectable human being.
1: Yeah. He's not
0: murdering everybody all the time.
1: Right. (laughs) You know know. what I mean? Like He's not a serial killer? No,
0: not anything at all, right? He's, like, doing, like, some very master carpentry work. He's got a solid relationship, you know. Yeah. Like, he's grown up. He's chilled out. Um, and, like, to give him credit on that phone call, he spent most of the time worried about her, right? Right. Um, and so it's, like, kind of amazing that, like, it all happened and allegedly, and Eric and Melanie's accounts differ a little bit. But what happened is she told him, like, a couple of days before, he's all upset. And he, like, they go out to, like, a kind of like a field, farmy stand place. He parks the car. She says, like, oh no, like, um, I didn't really understand that he was actually gonna kill him. Yeah. And he is like, Of course you knew. Um and they go <laughs> and they go out there and he according to her, he's like, When I'm done chewing my piece of gum, it's gonna when it goes stale, I'm gonna shoot him. And she's like and he's like, Go in the car and she's like, Okay, but he in the trial is like, I never friggin' said that. Like, yeah. Yeah, there's no gum involved. Um, anyways, um, according to that blog, they, they made a great synopsis of it again. And it says a high school friend told prosecutors that around the time of the Paquette murder, a teenaged Windhurst learned his own father, John, had molested his two half sisters. The friends said that the teenaged Eric could not confront his father. This man who wielded so much power over him. But like obviously he's super upset, right? Right. So instead he focused all his rage on Paquette, this total stranger, and assassinates him. Um, And like all the cops are like, what? And Eric at the trial is like, oh my God, my family's secret's out. Like, <laughs> every, like it's horrifying. So right. if you put your head into this kid, he's like just learning that his... Allegedly that his dad has allegedly molested his two half sisters, mm-hmm. right? He finds out this girl that he feels like kind of like brotherly paternal and is, it's like living in fear over the, her father who's raped her. And so the theory is that he just took all of that and made this like Rambo
1: persona
0: kind of, yeah, like he was just like, I'm going to end this. Like, this is not fair. This girl shouldn't live in, in terror. Right. Um, and, and so, like, that's kind of what happens, right? Like, it's just so crazy to me that, like,
1: he how far at, away did he see them from? Oh, it know. was
0: really far. I think we talked about that in the last one and I don't remember exactly how, but it was really Yeah. Really far away. It was a crack shot, which was one of the things. Like one of the the cops were like, There's no way anybody could actually make this shot and kill this guy with one bullet. Right. But Eric had hunted all his life with his brother. Yeah. That same brother who had died, I think, and it was like he was a very very good shot. I guess he was so. a great hunter, and so was his brother. Right. Um and so, you know, so Eric hears that Puckett's, like been raping a sister, like um Melanie during the weekend visits when she's just a freaking little kid, mm-hmm. right? He like knows it's so intense that her entire family moved to Alaska to hide that she's living kind of in secrecy and all that secrecy might like leave. And that he has a history of, um, you know, violent behavior. right? Right. So he just basically, you know, he's just, I don't know. What do you think, man? Like it's weird, right? Like this whole, and so many of the teens in this town knew exactly what he did nobody told the cops
1: well you know i mean it might be like a lot of people might think oh he did a good guy thing but i mean it's definitely murder
0: it's definitely murder like it's straight up murder but like you kind of like oh i can feel for these people because they're just kids and she's so scared and i mean if i
1: was gonna do that i would kind of almost set him up pocket up yeah so catch him in the act of trying to Rape the girl. Oh, dude. Well,
0: that's a lot more complicated than a normal 17 year old who's not the super genius of manipulation
1: that well, you are, Sean. It would take both of them, but they were both involved, anyways, apparently. Yeah,
0: yeah. There's a um, pretty decent article, I think it was in the New York, no, it was in the Boston Globe, that talks about like how what Melanie said. And Melanie told the police that Windhurst. This is a direct quote called the called her the morning of November 9th, 1985 and said he was going to kill her stepfather. Windhurst said, I'll pick you up along the way. She was very much in (laughs) love with the defendant and wanted to be his girlfriend said one of the lawyers, right? Right. So she agreed to go with him, and they parked on a dirt road near the pocket farm. Uh, He gets the rifle out of his car. He puts mud on his license plate for some reason And then here's the gum part. Windhurst put a piece of gum in his mouth, telling her that when the flavor was gone, he'd kill Paquette. (laughs) Cooper told the police that she waited at the stone wall while Windhurst walked through the woods. She heard a single gunshot and soon saw Windhurst running towards her. They drove around for a few hours and agreed on a mutual alibi. But Windhurst told others that Cooper was with him when he shot Paquette, according to court records. Two other men were working with Paquette in his yard that morning. It's unclear how Windhurst knew which one was Paquette. Somebody had to pick out Danny Paquette, said one of his attorneys. Eric Windhurst didn't know him. Melanie did. After she spoke with investigators in 2004, Cooper, Melanie's last name, mm-hmm. agreed to let them listen while she called Windhurst in New Hampshire. During one of those intercepted phone conversations, Cooper told Windhurst that the police were asking her about Paquette and he told her, quote, he had a lawyer on retainer for 10 years because of this and told her to get one too. Yeah. He reassured her, reassured her that she, quote, had no part in this and that, quote, God would be okay with this, according to court records. Cooper asked Windhurst what would happen if she just told the police the truth. Well, then we go to jail, Windhurst told her. So Cooper agreed to testify against Windhurst and pled guilty to a felony charge of hindering apprehension punishable by three and a half to seven years yeah and um the attorney said he'd asked the judge to suspend her sentence because she cooperated cooper's plea and sentencing hearing like at the time of this article hadn't been scheduled but it eventually happened
1: and what happened
0: she went to jail
1: did she really yeah she
0: went she went she went to for her. she went to jail too um because the the um basically the judge was just like yeah no like I'm sorry, but you obviously were very much involved in right. this murder. You didn't tell anybody about this murder right. for twenty years. You have to have a penance for that, mm-hmm. and all the cops and everybody. We were really, really upset because she had helped them so much. They never would have cracked the case, and they had promised her that she wouldn't ever go to jail.
1: Cops can never make that. Place.
0: I know. Why can't they? Can you explain why?
1: Well, they're not the authority for jail time. They're not the authority for prosecution or no prosecution. Yeah.
0: So in the trial, he eventually, when Eric in his trial ended up pleading guilty to second degree murder, mm-hmm. he was uh, sentenced to 15 for thir- to 36 years, but he got out last year, I think.
1: Yeah.
0: Um. No, two years ago, maybe 2020. 2020. Okay. Um, he got paroled and Danny's brother... Vincent was growling much like our dog (laughs) um,
1: because
0: he was really upset. He's like this guy just in this vigilante justice killed my brother, effed up my family all over again. And he's already out because he's like, I'm sure he felt like he was a rich boy and blah, blah, blah. He's like, we never would have agreed to the plea if we thought he would actually get paroled. And Melanie's mom, there's an article um, about her, and how she felt. Like, she just totally failed her daughter.
1: Why did she um, fail
0: her daughter? Um, well, she... Because of Pocket. I think she, she said, I failed my daughter miserably. I did nothing except to come up with excuses to keep her from going to Daniel pockets home when they were still there, right? Like, mm-hmm. she didn't, like, do anything. Like, she didn't go to court. She didn't try to do anything legal. And so... And then they ran away, you know? And so, I think she just felt like you know, that she didn't do the right thing, that what, you know, this guy allegedly, you know, stalked them after their 1981 divorce. Mm -hmm. He allegedly broke into her house, pinned her down, and hit her in front of Melanie um, before they fled, you know, and, like, it's just, and then her mom was like, okay, you're having emotional issues in Alaska. We're really struggling financially. Yes, you can go home and, live with your aunt and uncle right and right. her aunt is like a a big time judge actually. oh really now yeah oh. and, and she was a big time lawyer back then when all of this was going down so it you know like maybe her mom thought hey this is gonna be stable for you
1: <laughs>
0: and then it all just went
1: Whoa. might have been
0: and you know it might have Has been you
1: not been in soccer on the boy's soccer team
0: no it might no i think the thing that Put it over the edge for like there's part of this story is that like you know they were so afraid that he was going to realize that she was back in new hampshire right Mm -hmm. and then she tells her counselor which her aunt makes her go to a counselor because she's like dude you know bad shit happened to you you need some therapy and the counselor's like i have to report this abuse it's a mandatory reporting Right. And so then she was like, oh, no, you know, like, that's, that's huge, mm-hmm. right? Um, and, and so I think that was it, like, that, like, they wanted to get custody of her or guardianship of her legally, And then the counselor stuff and all that combined made her think, you know, he's going to really know I'm here. And right. that fear led her to telling people. And then Eric took it into his own hands to try to be like the white knight and savior. Mm -hmm. And if you can think about the eighties, like there is quite the white knight savior going complex going on back then. You know, sounds like he
1: would have been fine if he would have done it himself and not told anybody.
0: Yeah. But then he felt guilty and he did tell people, Mm -hmm. you know, like, um,
1: just a weakness.
0: Yeah. and, And this report says that on the morning of Saturday, November 9th, Windhurst called Cooper and said he was going to quote do it he said he didn't want to bring her along because a girl would slow him down Cooper asked to come along figuring she could spend the day with Windhurst a boy she had a crush on she said
1: (laughs) I said what are
0: you going to do you don't even know who the right person is Windhurst was silent for a minute then he agreed to pick her up they drove to Hooksit and she told him that's the house where I grew up in he parked nearby, smeared mud, again, on the license plates, took a rifle out of his car. He walked with Cooper to a stone wall, put a piece of gum in his mouth, and told her when the flavor was gone, he was going to do it. So that, like, such a consistent story oh, yeah. that she told over and over.
1: Definitely.
0: Um, And uh, she also didn't think that was weird that he had a gun in this car because he was a hunter and he always went out shooting. And mm-hmm. he'd even gone shooting with her before and she said like the whole situation just didn't feel real it was like she was like it was like we were living in a movie and she quote said i didn't question him because i didn't think it was going to happen i don't even know if eric knew he was gonna what he was going to do that day so he walked off in the woods she heard a shot he ran back and said run and i kept saying what happened and he told her to shut up and run um and then he she said it was like he was angry they got to the car. He shoved her head down, told her to stay down as he drove. She hears sirens, and she's like, did you shoot him? And he's like, yeah, I did shoot him, okay? I did.
1: <laughs>
0: um, and she said she was really scared, and she stayed quiet. And when she tried to ask him questions, he told her not to worry about it. And then if anyone asked, to say they were both at that field hockey game in Plymouth. And that's what story they stuck with for 20 it was, it?
1: years. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's good for them I guess but
0: and she apologized for not coming forward before but said she was really scared and she didn't do the right thing and that she was sorry for it
1: scared of what getting in trouble
0: yeah I think so huh. I know right like but the the thing that is amazing to me is like these cops were so hot to solve this case and they had anonymous letters saying this kid did it.
1: And they didn't really like follow up. on And they that.
0: just couldn't make that stick. And like yeah. other people, they'd interview him, and interview them and interview them. and they all knew. They're like, no, 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 no.
1: <laughs> That's crazy. I
0: know. I feel like if I murdered somebody, no, I would pretend like I didn't. Oh,
1: okay. Except maybe my
0: kid. All right, let's let's be let's be honest here. Yeah. Know? I would. I would probably like. If I murdered someone,
1: you couldn't keep it yourself. Yeah,
0: I would call the cops like within five minutes. I'm like, right. I murdered someone, Exactly. <laughs> it like, would be the worst secretive murder. <laughs>
1: ever.
0: And the interesting thing is that Eric gets out, right? Yeah. He's out now, I don't know what he's doing, but Melanie is actually like a permi- uh, uh, like prison rights advocate now.
1: Oh really? Yeah, she
0: uh. and she has a really decent job and like her Mormon husband divorced her
1: of course pretty quickly
0: actually. And um as soon as she got like in jail and uh she served about 15 months.
1: Yeah.
0: And uh now she is focused really a lot about um, reform. Um, yeah yeah um she she said and she also said that it's really hard once you get out of jail she said quote no one would touch me with a 20-foot pole or 10-foot pole and give her a job um and like it was so desperate for a while that she's like Uh, should I be a prostitute? Like, Uh, I don't uh, know uh, how I'm going to make money.
1: That's Um, horrible.
0: Yeah. It's a Mormon to prostitute to thing. And I think that's a really interesting thing. Um, You know, she was fortunate because she got to have counseling outside the prison, but she's like, other ladies don't. And like, we're all stuck. Like, they're stuck. Right. And so many women, obviously not all women. Right. Are in prison because of abusive situations. A lot of them
1: are, yeah. Yeah.
0: Or drugs. And, like, it doesn't mean... Even though you're in prison, it means you've made a mistake. Right. But it doesn't mean that you're evil or bad, necessarily. Yeah. Not everybody. And so, then, to try to get out of prison... And then go off into the real world and you realize that's so hard.
1: Yeah, I'm sure it is.
0: Yeah. And so she's a big advocate about that. She managed to be okay, but like she thinks about all the other ladies in prison and how they right. work. So she's devoting a lot of time to Good that, which is really interesting. But what do you think?
1: What do I think about what?
0: If you knew about Eric Windhurst, would you have told?
1: What I've told? Yeah. Probably. You think so? I don't know. Why not? Why was everybody not telling us his parents were a frick?
0: No, because he was like a good guy, and they understood why he did it. it. Like, to all these teenagers, right, it's like this kid saved another kid mm-hmm. from a wicked abusive man in their heads, allegedly, obviously. You know, here, here's
1: my deal, okay? Really. If you're going to murder somebody... Yeah. And you keep, can't keep your fucking your yap shut. <laughs> you deserve to get caught and go to prison.
0: So if you're a silent murderer, it's okay? Yeah. What?
1: I'm not saying it's okay. But I'm saying oh. once you tell somebody, you might as well plan on that person ratting you up.
0: You can never tell anybody. No. who no trust. Baby, so if you no... murdered someone, you wouldn't tell me? Ugh. <laughs> No. Yeah, you wouldn't. He wouldn't tell me. Oh, I
1: wasn't I hadn't even processed your question yet. I was still thinking about how many people can keep a circuit, you know. Said,
0: Nobody can keep a circuit. Secret. <laughs> I S- love
1: you. Secret. I know. At best it's one. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody else has to go. So you don't tell anybody.
0: I think if I murdered someone and I managed not to rat myself out in the first 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. There's only one person I would tell.
1: That's better be me. It is, yeah. It better not be Emily. Oh,
0: God, no. She's got way too She'll much of a moral compass. She'll rat you out in the <laughs> So true. But you wouldn't tell me because you'd be so afraid that I'd rat you out. Mm. Or I couldn't deal with it. I've been married
1: by you before, baby. Oh, <laughs> not true,
0: not true. But if you listen to both of these episodes of the podcast, I mean, holy crap, this poor family, there's like so well, yeah, many rough go of it, for sure. Yeah, like so many different.
1: I'm surprised his, his brother didn't do anything to the guy when he got out of prison.
0: I think his brother was really,
1: really, really angry. Well, I and blame. I think he
0: hasn't stopped being angry.
1: I wouldn't and be I angry either if somebody killed my brother. And I do I mean I wouldn't stop. I yeah,
0: and I don't know if there's a socioeconomic component to that. You know, because the pockets aren't wealthy, and they see this wealthy kid kind of uh, getting off pretty quickly or easily. Of course it's
1: going to go there. Yeah. And they see
0: this girl who's like aunt is like a judge and she's served 15
1: months. Right.
0: Like I, I'm. Her sh-
1: mother's a judge.
0: No, her aunt's a oh, judge. Oh, her aunt. Yeah. yeah and yeah. like, I feel like, you know,
1: well, she's never going to give a stiff sentence because unless they were in Texas, but she because <laughs> in Texas, if you're there, you pulled the trigger, whether you did or not. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah.
0: But I think that there's like so much of a socioeconomic component that Americans don't talk about in anger and in politics and in divisiveness in and in blame. And I'm sure that it would be very hard, even if that had no bearing on this case. I think it would be very hard for the family.
1: To, to not believe it. To not believe that well, it have a bearing yeah. in this case. Right. I understand that. You know, Absolutely.
0: Like, I, you know, we always talk about all the other isms in America, but we really don't often talk about classism. <laughs> what?
1: Never mind. This is not our, this is our serious podcast. It's a serious so I'm podcast. not going to make that joke. Oh, dear God. That I was thinking of. Thank you. All right. Yeah. I'll make it to you when we're done.
0: So you want to wrap this up somehow, babe? You know, I want to wrap yeah, this man. up. Yeah, Like, all right, here. I think that blogger said it really well. Where does a community draw the line between what is a, what is the law and what is justice? What is it about a small town that makes it the perfect place to live a normal life after committing an unspeakable crime? Well, you know, the other
1: aspect is they're all depending upon this chick of being truthful. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. So what if she was just lying? I bet she wasn't. I said, what if? Well. They don't know that. No. Not a single one of those people knew that.
0: No, they didn't.
1: Nobody would have known that So, for her, Danny, and her mother, probably. Yeah. Right? Pretty much. Or siblings, if she had some. She
0: had siblings, but I think the only person she told was the nanny of her aunt's house and maybe her mom yeah yeah at the time and then possibly a college boyfriend but she kind of lied to him about something else and then took it back and, and he so became he, a reporter he didn't what and like, was what. yeah he yeah. was very confused about what's truth which is often something that happens for people who have been abused um horribly as kids they have right. a really hard time telling the truth about Uh, certain things and sometimes they hyperbolize things because their pain is just so huge and they don't know how to articulate it or come to the oh
1: it makes sense yeah but if you're gonna do it do it yourself
0: do it well and do it yourself (laughs) don't (laughs) tell anybody
1: that's right hey thank you for listening to the dude No. please be sure to like share and subscribe and tell all your friends what a goofy couple has this podcast and how good it is to listen to
0: be kind be kind kind.
1: yes thank you